0: Certainly have a good crowd this evening. We're thankful for your presence and for the effort that you're making in this meeting to come and to worship our God and to study from His Holy Word. It is our privilege to be with you this week and we're certainly thankful for that. If you consider yourself a visitor, we want to especially welcome you and invite you back at uh, the further services of this meeting. This afternoon, I want to study with you for a few minutes about a goal I believe that you and I have and we share in common, and that is to walk with Christ. I believe the majority of people that are here this evening, that is your concern and that is what you want in your life. You want to walk with Him. And you want to be more like Him every day. One of these uh, continuing goals that you and I have is to overcome temptation. Uh, last night we started a study with a group of young folks that uh, just energized me to no end because they asked me, they said, can we do this all week? <laughs> and I said, yes, absolutely. Uh, what a thrill it is to have a, a group that want to study the Bible. And so we're doing that and we're going to study about overcoming temptation. And tonight I want to study with some of the older folks Uh, not just the younger folks, certainly you are included, everybody that's under uh, 50 years old. We'll count you as a young person. But I believe that overcoming temptation is what uh, we are fighting and what we will strive to do for as long as we live. I don't think there is a person here this evening that has completely learned to overcome temptation, though you try. And though we keep striving. And though we keep working at it. So I believe since that's the case, then no matter your age, no matter your station in life, uh, this lesson applies to you. Now I want to uh, use as a basis for our study this evening, Colossians 1 and verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, And increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking with Christ is increasing in knowledge with God. How can I have faith except I have knowledge first? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somewhere along the way we've got it backwards. A lot of people have gotten it backwards. They have confused confidence with faith. They think because they are confident in something then they must have faith. However, knowledge has to be the foundation for our faith. God never asks us to believe something simply uh, without evidence. For faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But I can't have evidence except I have knowledge. The same is true in all aspects of our walk with Christ. I want to present to you this evening that walking with Christ is simply not doing something. A lot of people think that they are walking with Christ and they consider themselves a Christian because they do something. They go to church. Being a Christian and walking with Christ is not simply doing something, but it's being something. It's not something you simply do, it's something you are. It's who you are. And if you are considering yourself a Christian and you are considering yourself as a person walking with Christ, then it's not simply something, some kind of abstract action. Like I get up on Sunday morning and I put on my dress clothes and I go to church. But it becomes something that you are. So therefore, Paul says to the church at Colossae that you might walk, that you might live. It's a, it's a way of life, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14 puts it this way For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and to become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now I hope that you paid particular attention to what I have highlighted, and emphasis is mine. First, the first principles of the oracles of God. Our walk with Christ begins with first principles, begins with basic fundamental truths from God's word. But my walk needs to be more than just that as I grow as a Christian and as I walk with God. He tells us that by reason of use, we have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So in a lesson like walking with Christ and overcoming temptation, then the first principle that you and I must understand is we have to use what we know and we have to continue to grow. It frustrates me when I think about Christians not willing to grow. If I have a way of life that I'm calling everybody in the world to follow, certainly I need to be growing in that way of life. It's frustrating when we think about our church is not growing. And growth, mind you, is uh, twofold. We can have spiritual growth, but we certainly cannot grow except we are adding to the number too, as well. So by reason of use to discern both good and evil, the first principle that I want you to understand is growth has to occur in order to learn how to overcome temptation. This growth comes... By reason of use and exercise. Just like we would exercise our physical body, we must exercise the spiritual man so that you and I might grow. Now I have a little chart up here that uh, I call this my moving on up chart. And you can illustrate growth in a number of ways. I I choose to illustrate it this way. We start out with faith, and this faith is based upon knowledge. I hear the Word of God, and then I start adding uh, these Christian virtues. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7 says, And beside this, giving all diligence. Now, diligence means I must place an effort in doing this. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. Here we have a uh, a chart that says faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance. I can't have temperance in my life except I know what God desires for me to do. My faith will allow me to live a virtuous life and a clean life. All types of spiritual growth, we can look at it as subtopics as well, such as overcoming temptations as a part of our subtopic of spiritual growth. An exercise of self control. I learn how to hold myself in. I learn how to say no to things. I learn how to say yes to God. A change of desires and forgiving and seeking of forgiveness. So 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So tonight I want to ask you, are you growing? Are you exercising toward growth? Are you overcoming temptations? Are you learning how to do that? Are you exercising self-control? No one succeeds by giving up. So I charge you tonight not to give up in spiritual growth. Keep striving. Be diligent in it. Tonight, let's concentrate on one of these virtues, one of these attributes of spiritual growth, and that being overcoming temptation. The success of overcoming temptation depends uh, on some key responses. When I'm tempted, I need to have some key responses I need to know what, how, and, and how to respond to what God would want me to do. Uh, I'd, I'd like to mention just a few of them for you this evening and something for us to consider and to meditate upon. Number one, I need to learn how to curb my desires. All of us have desires. We need to learn how to curb desires. We need to learn how to change what we desire. If I'm desiring something that is contrary to God, I need to learn how to change that. I need to uh, learn how to change those things that are leading me away from God to desire those things that will lead me to God. Now, I believe that you're here this evening because you have a desire to follow God. However, in our daily life, there's no question we come up on desires that would lead us away from God. I need to learn how to change those desires. And then I need to learn how to respond in the depth of temptation. When I'm in the throes of temptation and Satan is, is, is getting on me hard, how do I respond? So this evening we'll talk about these things for just a few minutes and I'm not going to try to keep you long. But hopefully these things will help us in our Christian walk that you and I might grow, that we might exercise our senses, that we might become more like Christ and our daily life uh, would be pleasing to him. James 1 and 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You can't be tempted with something you don't want. It is absolutely impossible. I use a, I guess it uh, could be considered a uh, silly illustration. But I, and, and, and I use it primarily because it is silly. You could set... 50 pound of cocaine down in front of me and I wouldn't be tempted with it I just would you put a hamburger in front of me now that's a different story but I'm not tempted with drugs not a lot of people are I'm not tempted with alcohol a lot of people are but all of us are tempted with something because we have a desire and this desire That Satan uses will lead us away from God if we do not learn how to overcome our temptation. Now, we want to consider, and I've already had it on the board, consider David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba is a prime example of a man being tempted with a natural desire. Every man that is uh, uh, normal, that has a natural desire that David had. Satan uses these desires to lead a person away from God. Uh, David and Bathsheba, however, is a story that I believe is so pointed toward our society today. And I'll tell you why. I believe it's pointed because David illustrates to us a man who is looking into a place that he has no right. He, he stands out on his porch. And he looks over. I don't know what kind of glance it was. But there was a woman. That's taking a bath. And this woman is a beautiful woman. Now I told the young folks this last night. and I'm going to tell the old folks tonight. <laughs> the old man in here. David did not even have a right to look. Not even a right to look. Much less carry that look out to the extent that he did. But it all began with this, a man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Men, you have no right to look at another woman except your wife. You don't have that right. We face and we live in a very vile society where pornography has become such a norm that men have gotten the idea that they can look and there's nothing wrong with it. You do not have the right to look. And when we sit down at our computer or we sit down at our TV set or we sit down with our DVD, what are we looking at? And if the hard drive on your computer was revealed to this group this evening, how would you feel about it? Now, I, I've told some folks, I don't, I'm not going to apologize for this. I'm just not. I don't, I don't feel like I have enough time to tiptoe around the tulips with a lot of these issues. We face one of the most difficult times that people have ever lived for this type of temptation and this type of distraction that Satan has placed before us. Now, mind you, it is perfectly normal for a man to have the desires. God gave him that. It's there for procreation. Uh, Men would go extinct if he didn't have it. But within God's order and within God's pattern, within His law, it is for a man and a woman, the man and his wife, and there's no place in between. We do not even have the right to look, and ladies, you don't either. Your eyes need to be fixed upon your husband. Guys that are not married, you need to start practicing this now. And understand that God has a mate for you, God has a a helpmeet for you. Plan for that, not plan for the moment. So David looks over into Bathsheba's backyard, her porch, or whatever, and he sees this woman, this desire. It all began first with a look. Then the desire grew. David started planning. How can I have this woman? And you know the rest of the story. Uriah ends up dying. David ends up having a, a, a child with Bathsheba. His life becomes in shambles. All because of looking into an area that he had no right, and that's where it began. So we need to learn how to curb our desires. We need to learn how to want and hold back. Hold ourselves in on the things that are natural and put them in the area of God's plan. James 1 and 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I tell folks I grew up, I'm a child of the 70s and 60s and 70s when LSD was uh, the drug that uh, the drug addicts chose. You heard LSD, LSD, there it is. There it is, lust, sin, and death. And it's deadlier than this drug of the 60s and 70s. Lust bringeth forth sin, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Learn how to curb your desires. Start saying no. Men, you don't have a right to look. Ladies, you don't have a right to look. Nor do you have a right to entice to look. We also need to learn how to change our desires for sin or the things that will lead us to sin. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 12 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish, hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now here is a situation that is nothing sinful at all about money. God has ordained money as a use. Jesus even used it. He paid taxes to Caesar. However, When it being perverted, then it leads men to sin. And that's what Timothy's saying. The love of money is the root of all evil. And while many people want to be rich, then it leads them into sin and perdition. So I need not only to learn how to curb my natural desires, but I need to identify those things that will lead me to sin. now I want to give you an illustration of this. That you and I can hopefully take to heart a couple of illustrations. One is... You're going, to, you're, you're going to take a job somewhere. There's nothing wrong with taking a job. Man, everybody's got to work. Who don't have to work? But you know, I've known so many people that have taken a job and after they accepted the position, then they start looking for some place to go to church. I've seen that time after time after time. They'll check out the school system. They'll check out everything about the community. But then, after they accept the job, then they start calling and wanting to know: Well, is there a church in the area? Is there some place closer than twenty miles from where I live? And if you're not closer than twenty miles, then you're in trouble. Do you do you get my point? I need also to curb my desires. In the things that will lead me to sin, I want another illustration, and, and you're going to find this one hard to believe, but I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you the truth. And, and let me preface this by saying, I am not opposed to softball. <laughs> I, have, I am nothing against softball. My kids played it. It's, it's perfectly okay. However, it's just like making money. It's just like making money and it's just like having a job. When it becomes distorted and my desires become abnormal and they become out of God's plan, then it becomes wrong. Uh, There's a fellow back home that was telling me that he coaches a traveling softball team. Now, this may be here, I don't know, but I'm just sure hoping this is not the case with Amarillo, Texas. I'm just hoping this is not, I hope this is exclusive to our area and I hope that it dies out in a hurry. But he told me he he was coaching a traveling softball league. He said they travel two times a week. He said the expense is unbelievable. He said the parents pay for this. He said the parents will pay hundreds of dollars. In uniforms, in travel expenses, hotel expenses, they go two times a week. Generally, they play on a Friday night, and guess what? A Sunday afternoon. Hundreds of dollars. Do you get, do you get my, my point? The same fellow told me that he coached another, and this is what you're going to find very difficult to believe. And I find it so distressing. He said he coaches another little league. Two-year-olds. Two-year-olds. I looked at him and I said, you're kidding me. You're coaching two-year-old softball? He said, parents bring them once a week. I said, do you change their diaper before they bat? their babies Are you really serious? And we wonder why we have to talk about curbing our desires for the things that will lead us to sin. Now, I know that everybody in this building sees the problem with this. Imagine, imagine if you were as concerned or your neighbor was as concerned about teaching the gospel and spreading the gospel and teaching these young people that you would do a, a, allow, spend the money and the time that it would be on the travel? And can you imagine starting and teaching your child when they're two years old? You know, I knew a man that learned how to read with his mother sitting him on, the, on her lap and reading to him the Bible. And he was reading fluently well before he ever went to school because his mother was sitting and reading the Bible to this child. And he grew up made a gospel preacher. But our desires are as such that we would take a two-year-old and teach them how to swing a bat and knock a ball off of a tee. But we won't think about teaching them the gospel, teaching them the word of God, Those are extreme examples, and I meant for them to be extreme. They are are extreme in the sense that you and I would not be considered to be involved in that. However, there are so many other things that you and I have become numb to, and that we've allowed to creep into our life. The job doesn't always have to come first. Sometimes it will be okay to be tired and go to church. You're tired when you go to work. It's okay for the child not to have the social re- in interactions with children on a softball field if they need to go to church or to have a study with you and your family or the elders. We have difficulty in overcoming temptation because we have not yet identified some of these things that are leading us into temptation. Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation. We allow things to come into our life. We need to start learning to change our desires for things that lead us to sin or sinful things. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. If you don't get anything else this evening, get this. The secret of overcoming temptation is there. I need to learn how to flee. I need to learn how to flee. I had a fellow tell me, an old man, he said, one good retreat is better than 50 bad stands. Is that not right? He was an old soldier. He understood that principle. He understood that when it was something, you cannot win. You need to get away from it. If we can identify these desires that lead us into these situations, then we can not have to flee so quickly. We won't ever get there in the first place. But when we are there, learn how to flee. Paul is telling Timothy, this young man, flee these things and follow after righteousness. Not only do I need to learn how to run away from sin, I need to learn how to follow something. I need to learn how to follow after good things. That's changing your desires. That's that's changing the way you think about things. changing your heart you put yourself in situations all the time and uh, you eventually you won't flee and you'll have 50 bad stands and we need to learn how to fight I believe the recipe for overcoming temptation is given to Timothy flee follow and fight Jesus said, strive to enter in. You and I cannot live in this sinful world and give up the fight. And we cannot overcome temptation except we follow righteousness. And we cannot overcome temptation except we learn how to flee the sin when we are being tempted. Let's look at the response and the depth of temptation that is exhibited in the life of Joseph. Now we looked at a man who was a failure. In his response to temptation, that was David. David looked over into Bathsheba's yard, he started lusting after, and then the lust, when it hath conceived, it brought forth sin, and sin, when it was finished, brought forth death. Let's look at Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Everybody here knows the story of Joseph, surely. And I certainly am not going to go into detail in Joseph's life except to tell you that he was sold into slavery. And he was sold into Egypt and he uh, was sold and wound up in Potiphar's house and then became the manager, if you will, of Potiphar's house. And he oversaw Potiphar's house entirely and completely. There was nobody in, in Potiphar's house any greater than Joseph except Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Liked Joseph. And she looked at him. You well, know, the tables are turned a bit. So now it's not a man necessarily looking at a woman, it's a woman looking at a man. That happens. Ladies, it happens. She looks at him and she comes to him and she says, Joseph, lie with me. And Joseph says, how can I do this great sin and sin against God? I can't, I can't betray. First of all, I can't betray God. The, his first response in the depth of temptation. Do you think he was tempted? I absolutely was tempted. <laughs> of course he was tempted. His first response was, I'm going to look at my relationship with God first. How can I do this great sin and sin against him? Secondly, he looked at his position. Potiphar is entrusting me with his house. There's none greater in Potiphar's house than me, Joseph says. That went on and went on. Joseph, lie with me. One day, Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph by his coat. His clothes. Somebody said that he ran away so hard that he ran out of his clothes. He left his jacket behind. Here's a man that followed Paul's instruction, the Holy Spirit's instruction, and he fled. I'll tell you, you want to learn to overcome temptation, learn how to flee. Learn how to get away from it. Now, if you were expecting something uh, real deep and difficult, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's, It's really that simple. And then learn how to follow. Follow after righteousness. I'll tell you what, if you'll start fleeing these things that will lead you away from God and saying, I'm going to cut them off in my life like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, I'm going to get away from it. I'm going to leave it alone. And you start following after good things, you'll, well, it won't even tempt you before long. You'll lose the desire. And then continue to fight. Flee, follow, and fight. Those are two contrasts. David and Bathsheba, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Evaluate your life tonight. Where would you be? And how are you living? Are you practicing running away from temptation? I told, uh, uh, I told a young man this one uh, not too terribly long ago, not long at all. As a matter of fact, I told him, I said, you need to learn how to run away. He said, I don't run from nothing. I said, you better run from this. And you had too, because your soul's at risk. Furthermore, I want you to notice the difference in Joseph and David in this, in that looking for sin. If we go look for sin, it's not temptation. It's not. The decision's already been made. You sit down on your computer. Oh to do to uh, start surfing and and happen upon something? Come on. Let me break. What were you really looking for? What was really the intent? And if you go and look for temptation, it's not temptation. It's already sin. And Jesus is plain about this: If a man look upon a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. Many times we want to mitigate our sin by saying, "I fell into it," when, in fact, the sin was already committed when we went and looked for it. Temptation then, is falling into an opportunity to sin, which causes us to misuse God's blessings. Now, it is a fact that we live in a fallen world, and we do fall into these situations. However, most of the time, most, uh, many times in our life, the decision has already been made. Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12 says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the wiles there means tricks. That's what it means. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Galatians 6 and 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken, and notice how the language has directed for us so that we might understand. Overtaken in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now this being overtaken is falling into temptation. It's not going and looking for temptation. If you go into a place looking and knowing what you're going to find before you ever get there, the decision has already been made. It is a fact that we live in a fallen world and that we fall. And we are overtaken. None of us are exempt from this. I want to pause for a moment in our thoughts in this and and notice Paul's warning. He is warning that all of us are subject to this. Every one of us. Consider thyself... Lest thou also be tempted. Have you ever said, I'd never do that. Oh, you better watch it. You might. And we never ever need to get so proud and haughty in our thinking to think that we have overcome to the point that we can't be tempted with something that can overtake us. Sin is not something that we're born with, but rather a response to the familiar. False doctrine today abounds about being born with sin and being born in sin and the sin nature. I want to tell you that it's fairly easy to dispel that in my mind because Jesus was born in the flesh and he was born of woman. But Jesus didn't have any sin born in him. There was no sin nor guile found in his mouth. If humanity was born in sin and born with the sin nature, then Jesus would have too. But he wasn't. But this is a fact. You and I are reared by sinful parents. We're taught by sinful teachers. We're preached to by sinful preachers. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everywhere we look, we become familiar with sin. And this, here lies the problem. And here lies the solution. Our 25th wedding anniversary, Robin and I went to a dark restaurant. I'd say a dark, it, that's what it was. You know, you got, and, and we walk in this place and it was so dark that you'd, you'd wonder how, where the table's at. And I get a kick out of telling this on Robin. She, t- she says, boy, this is nice. It's nice. You can't even see. <laughs> and You think it's nice. But you know, after a, a while in that restaurant, they knew where I was at and I, their eyes were already accustomed to it. The waiters and the waitresses and all of those people, they knew exactly where we sat down. They, got, they took me in there and sat me down, but I'd walked in out of the bright sunlight and I'd sat down in that restaurant. And after a while, you know, I got where I could see. And that's the way it works. Here lies the problem with us. We have associated with ourselves with so many familiar sinful things that we've become so used to it that we don't even notice anymore. Not only has, have we become where we don't even notice the sinful things around us and they've become such uh, an accepted thing around us, well, what, they just don't shock us. I'll tell you, I went to work in this factory uh, 23 years ago. And up to that point, I'd never worked in a factory before in my life. I'd only been around my family and around church people. I'd been doing full-time church work. And that's about all I'd been doing. I was working on the farm and preaching. Now I went to that factory. And boy, I'm telling you, I'd stepped into the dark. And things shocked me. And I couldn't believe it. I've been there 23 years and... Not much shocks me anymore. And I'm, that's, that's just a fact of living in a fallen world. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 that in order to escape the fornicators of the world, we'd have to leave the world. So we know that we're around them. But we need to work and we need to strive and fight so that these things that are sinful, they become shocking to us once again. That we can identify the sinful things that would lead us into being overcome. I believe that we have been, become so familiarized with sin that many of the things have become a part of us. It becomes who we are. And the only operation that would ever get rid of them is an operation by the great physician. You and I cannot excise these sins in our life, so many of them. But Christ can. However, you and I can fight the good fight of faith. We can learn to identify those things that would lead us to sinful situations, we can learn even to change our desires. We can learn to think like Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Jesus told Simon, and and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted... Strengthen thy brethren, you know, I didn't understand that for a long time. Tony Springer helped me out with that Because I thought conversion was a process And I and I was even trying to write a sermon on the process of conversion and, and I struggled with it and you know usually when you struggle with something there's a problem with it Especially in the Bible because the Bible is is got pieces and it fits together and when it fits together. It's a pretty picture when it won't go together It may be you. Jesus told Simon, Simon, when thou art converted. Simon's been with Jesus all this time and he's still not converted. What's going on? I'll tell you what was going on with Simon. He hadn't changed his mind yet. (laughs) That's what was going on with him. and, And that may be the case with you. Conversion happens in a blink of an eye. The Greek in it teaches that it happens in a blink of an eye. I can change my mind. God has given me free moral will and I have a choice. And I can change my mind. And the things that I wanted, I can choose not to want them. And the one that I haven't been following and the life that I have been living, I can choose to change that. And I can change my mind like that, and you can change your mind too. Overcoming temptation, then, I need to change my mind. Simon, when thou art converted what about you tonight, will you have a change of mind? If your life is one that is in sin, in sinful actions and sinful desires? and you're away from Jesus Christ, you can change your mind. And it's only you that can change it. The Word can have the effect. The Word of God can have the effect. And it can prick your heart, but you have to change your mind. And what you had been desiring, you can quit desiring and quit wanting those things and start wanting the righteousness and holiness of God and overcome temptation and be overcomers. If you're here this evening and you're not a member of the Lord's church, we ask you to come, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God and be buried with Him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. If you're here this evening and you need the prayers of the church to help you, prayers for forgiveness, for strength, whatever your need, won't you come as together we stand and sing.